It's Tuesday, October 16th. Welcome to Market Foolery. I'm Chris Hill, and joining me in studio today from Motley Fool Inside Value and from Motley Fool Asset Management, Bill Mann. Gentlemen, good to see you. Woo-woo! Back by popular demand, Bill Mann, because I'll be honest, I've been getting emails. <laughs> there have been people on the Twitter saying, where's Bill Mann? So, you know, we listen. We respond. They've let me out what of the What are you cave. doing? Work? <laughs> Work. <laughs> uh, it is earnings season. We've got earnings from Goldman Sachs, Johnson & Johnson, and Coca-Cola. But, Joe Maker, are we going to start with any of those stories? No. No, we're not. No. No, Sounds we are not. This sounds like a victory lap. And that's because Citigroup CEO Vikram Pandit resigned today just one day Mm. after the company reported earnings and one day after we talked about Vikram Pandit being a CEO who basically has got to go. And uh, how about that? I when think I, Joe made your talks. I think the question on the table, listen. the question on the, the table board is this. Yeah, is is not does the board of directors at Citigroup listen to market foolery, but how many of them? Yeah. Clearly a majority, but You know, when you lose Joe Magier, <laughs> you lose America. That's uh, what it comes down to. Um, what do you think when you saw this news? Because we were talking before we started taping, despite the fact that in his tenure at, as CEO, um, Citigroup's shares have fallen 89%. Could happen to anybody. There really wasn't this huge yeah. groundswell of, well, Vikram Pandit has to go. He was not, he was, you know, it was, it was not that situation. There was not that narrative in the media. What did you think when you first heard the news? Well, I was pretty surprised for no other reason than we just talked about it <laughs> <Right>. yesterday. <laughs> so that was surprising. I, I guess you're right that there had been no buzz around it. But when you kind of step back a little bit and you look at the performance of the business, it's been pretty terrible <laughs> over that same time horizon. JP Morgan's down about 5%. Um, so that's know, better. Yeah, it's better. <laughs> yeah. And when you look at how these guys have bounced out of the recovery, you know, Wells Fargo, uh, JP Morgan, both have dramatically increased their dividends since the financial crisis. City is still, you know, completely floundering. Honestly, I can't name a single thing that I think they've done particularly well. There are no big yeah. hits that Panda can hang his hat on. So it's not that big a surprise, honestly, when you step back a little bit. Yeah. Citigroup is one of those banks that is too big to fail, and yet it's managing to. I mean, it's, mani- it's, it's, it's managing to deeply underperform even its peers in a, in a pretty lousy segment over, over, over the last five years. I mean, over the last three years, financials have done very well, and you know, with, really with the exception of Citigroup. I think the thing about Pendant is that he was pretty, he was pretty popular internally. I mean, I, we, don't, we don't spend much time in the halls of Citigroup, but my, my understanding is that he was, he was pretty well-liked as an operator, and so I think he probably got as many chances as he, as he needed over time, and they just, found, they just figured it was time to make a change. Uh, I absolutely agree with that notion of him being popular internally, and the reason I say that is because um, you and I, Bill, as uh, proud graduates of the American University, yeah. have both had the opportunity to speak to uh, the investment club there. Mm-hmm. And earlier this spring, when I was uh, speaking to the class, um, Pandit came up because a couple of the students in the class had worked at Citigroup, and I had just gotten done essentially uh, making fun of Panda, because this was right after... This <laughs> Pulling was, out your best stuff. Yeah, exactly. And, uh, and, and so, you know, the, the students who worked at Citigroup were sticking up for him, and one of them said, listen, he does a phenomenal job of communicating yeah. within the company, he, you know, and basically proceeded to talk about what a great communicator he is internally, and my response to that was, well, he needs to take the next step and do that externally because that that message isn't getting yeah. out. I actually think that he 
communicated pretty well, but when you're communicating bad performance over time, then <laughs> let that's... me be clear: we're doing terribly. <laughs> right. So, exactly. That's a that's a tough message after a number of years. So, uh, I I actually was somewhat more positive on you know than than pendant than 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 a lot of people, but at some point you got to mix things up. Yeah, and I understand he got dealt a tough hand. I mean, obviously, <laughs> starting in, what, December 2007, you're, you're going to struggle, but clearly all the other major banks have managed to figure things out and nothing. The new CEO is a guy named Michael Corbat. He is, uh, the report I saw was, it called him a, a Citigroup lifer. He worked at Solomon Brothers, and then they were acquired by Citigroup. Um, any advice for this guy? I mean, it, I, I suppose there's something to be said for... Um, uh, promoting someone to CEO who doesn't have to learn literally what the, yeah. the hallways are like and, and that sort of thing. Uh, what do you think? Two cents yeah. worth of free you advice go, from Michael first. Corbett? Yeah. I, I don't really know. I mean, I guess I guess he's in a pretty good condi- you know, situation in that he's not following a legend. You know, right. you think about like Jeff Immelt when he stepped into the, you know, when he stepped into the role at, uh, at GE. He's like, well, he can do almost nothing but be worse. You yeah. know, Tim Cook had the same. I was going to say, it's not Tim Cook trying to follow this is Steve not, Jobs. Exactly. So I th- I think that there are probably incremental things that, 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 that he can do. I'm, I'm at a loss to name any. Yeah. Uh, well, but, I've got you know, one. I think hey, he do could, better. Do better would Go. be yeah. priority one. Uh, yeah. Maybe bring in a strong lieutenant from outside the firm to give you a little more fresh perspective and who can also act as a bit of the fall guy and the bad cop for you, Rahm Emanuel style, and I think that would serve him well. Uh, moving on to earnings, kind of a mixed bag for Coca-Cola's latest quarter. Uh, Bill, profits were up, but total revenue up only 1%. That's um, yeah, that's not great. Well, you, you have to understand that Coca-Cola is, although it's based in Atlanta, it is essentially an international company. And so a lot of things that happen with Coca-Cola just have to do with currency movements. And the currencies have really moved against Coke right. over the last quarter. I mean, they had good volume growth even in Europe. But uh, on a revenue standpoint, eventually, that has to get converted back to dollars so that they can report. So they actually, I was actually pretty pleased with the, uh, with, with, with the earnings report. And, you know, you're just talking about a stalwart company that that has really, really performed well over time. So it it was it was not great news. I didn't think it was a spectacular report, but it was one of those things where it wasn't very hard to explain yep. where the slippage was. We've talked, uh, I think the last time we talked about Coca-Cola, it was about their, their push into India. It really seems like for all the talking we do and, and a lot of investors do about China, it really seems like yeah. India is sort of the next great frontier for them. India is, and also uh, places in the Middle East. Turkey is a big new market for them. And, and in particular, they're not pushing the sparkling beverages so much as they are the still beverages, the teas, right. the fuse, the, the, uh, the beverages of this sort. And that market's been very good for them. And I think that that's you know one of the th- one of the things that Coke has started to do better is to really tailor its taste for the local markets, and so making sure that if it's a you know if this a if it's a tea dominated market, which India is, which Turkey is, making sure that they have products that compete well on that level. Yeah, and an- another nice thing is it kind of reduces the exposure to a single brand's perception too. Yeah. Goldman Sachs' latest earnings came in higher than expected, uh, and Joe Lloyd Blankfein, the CEO, called the results reasonably solid. Do you agree with that? I think that's a good description. You know, 
for a company that's selling below its tangible book value, I'd say these are pretty darn good results. Yeah. If you annualize the return on equity for this quarter, it was around 8%, well below their historical numbers, but still, again, in the context of a business that's obviously not thought very highly of on Wall Street or by the market, that's pretty good. They announced another dividend increase. Yeah. Second one this year, they've been buying back tons of stock. I mean, overall, I'm pretty happy with it. Obviously, not a home run of a quarter, but I think if you're a patient investor that you're probably going to be pretty happy buying Goldman here. I think the interesting thing about Goldman and 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 these results is that is that after Dodd Frank, the company's really been you know hamstrung from its you know from what essentially Goldman Goldman has long been a hedge fund that had some other things that were you know that were going on and that and that core part of its business has been hamstrung a little bit by by new regulations and you know and, and new restrictions on it and, and and separation. So yeah, it was a it was it, it was a a reasonably good what, what were the words reasonably solid reasonably solid quarter i think that uh you know i i i, I can't do much better than that description maybe i couldn't even reach <laughs> to that description since i couldn't remember the word solid uh joe i want to go back to the dividend for a second because that that seemed like a little bit of a surprise if only for the fact that in the past goldman sachs has made no secret of the fact that uh, well, how should I put this? That they've basically come out and said, "No, no, no. We we know how to spend our money." Like they've said, yeah. they've said in the past, "We the reason we are not raising our dividend in the past uh, is because we're going to invest it in our own business." Um, so, what does it say to you that they, in, in at least in this instance, sort of backtrack off of that? Yeah, it was obviously some mixed messaging, and that came up on the conference call. And someone asked, you know, is this a sign that you guys are going to be more committed to, you know, stable dividend? And they pretty quickly shot that down. I think what happened was that they had asked for approval from the government for a while now on raising the dividend, and it ultimately just came around. So I think that was the situation here. And they made clear that going forward, you know, don't expect years where you're going to see two hikes. Don't get used to this. That's right. yeah, don't get, don't right. get used you're to You're welcome. Uh, they want to keep putting yeah. money back towards repurchases, which I think given the state of their balance sheet and how cheap the stock is, is a pretty good move. Just to wrap up on the stock, uh, you talked about the valuation, and yet shares trading just about at a, a 52-week high, you still think it's undervalued? Yeah, I, I think so. I mean, you're trading a couple bucks below tangible book value, which is kind of a conceptual liquidation value. And, you know, I know it's hairy, but basically you're buying Goldman below its breakup value and you're getting its brand and relationship free. That's what he said. Free. Harry? He said, he said Harry. So Harry is a negative thing? Yes. Well, Harry, it's, it's saucy. For it's a, spicy. For a stock, it is. For other things, maybe it's not. I, I, I'm just struck by the irony of the of the yeah. guy who shaves his head using Harry as a pejorative. Well, uh, you haven't seen the rest. Of it. <laughs> Let's keep it that way. Uh, Noted. Moving on, Johnson and Johnson's earnings came in better than expected. Prescription drug sales and medical devices getting the credit. Uh, obviously, a, a a lot of parts to this business, Bill. What do you think when you look at their business and this quarter in particular? Well, so they're 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 definitely really pushing to uh, pushing into medical devices. You know, so they've had a number of you know a, a string over the last two or three years of 
of drugs and pharmaceutical really missteps, you know, they had, and uh, so they're pushing very hard into medical devices. So there's something that is a little bit distorting in this quarter in that they had a lot of, uh, they, they had a lot of acquisition costs. They made a big acquisition in medical devices this last year. And so that flowed onto the income statements because they, 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 I don't want to say overpaid for it because that's not the right, that's, that, that's not the right word, but they, you know, they, they, they paid they, richly. They, <laughs> they paid up for quality. There you uh, go. And uh, so, yeah, it was no okay quick quarter. The thing that amazes me about Johnson Johnson, and I know we try to think of businesses and then think of the stock as being, you know, something that is, you know, a residual, but that stock never moves. I mean, I, I saw this morning on uh, Fly on the Wall said that it was re- nearing breakout territory. It said it's 52 week high. <laughs> The range where it's like Break 61 out. to 68. I mean, there are sidewalks that are more volatile <laughs> than, than Johnson & Johnson stock. I don't, I don't know what it would look like if it breaks out. What would it take for the stock to break out? Because because as up a quarter, I, I guess, right? Well, no, I'm just I'm just wondering if operationally, because the last few times we've talked about Johnson and Johnson, and when I say the last few times, I mean really over the last couple of years, more often than not, we're talking about some sort of misstep, a yeah. recall, and this again, yeah. this is a company that it's not just one division that has problems. They've had recalls across their company. Yeah. So th- the fact that there were no big recalls, <laughs> that you know, yeah. it's one of those things where the absence of terribleness uh, seems to be the new positive. I'm almost surprised that they didn't run that as their headline. You know how companies, when they put out their earnings report, they try and, you know, they, they try and focus on something. And, yes. you, and you know a company has had a really, really terrible quarter when they focus on something that's super obscure. Like, number of employees up! You know, yeah. so I'm really surprised that they didn't lead with no recalls and no huge problems this quarter. You're welcome. We you shrank know. our parking lot. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You know, for J&J, I think for them it would be posting respectable organic growth like in the mid single digits would be enough to get people excited about the stock again and part of that is going to be just shaking off the headaches associated with all the brand recalls and medical device recalls and every other recall they've had yeah Um, it's really impacted their brand i mean you know you think about you think of the goldman sachs and you think of the uh the johnson and johnson's of the world a huge part of their value is the brand and you're talking about two brands that have actually been impacted or you know negatively over the last few years yeah and you've got some i'd say there's a bit of a backlog on the medical device side too where a lot of people have been putting off having medical procedures done because they don't want to deal with the expense or they're worried about taking time off from work. And as the job market heats back up, the economy comes around, a lot of these, you know, deferred expenses. I mean, obviously, we're not talking about, you know, like transplants, but things like, <laughs> right. you know, I need to get my knee Have you noticed on. how there are a lot more zombies out there? It's <laughs> actually just people who are waiting for medical devices. <laughs> zombies with bad knees. Uh, but, you know, coinciding with boomers aging and, you know, I think there's some, some latent demand there that will come back. And yeah. I think that'll be enough to kind of give a little bit of a shove and a good way to the stock. Is there an international opportunity for them in terms of growth? Or is it really just sort of getting all of their respective houses in order and just sort of sticking to their knitting? I think there's certainly an international, there are international opportunities across the board. The U.S., for, for a lot of reasons, some of which are systemic, is still one of the highest consumers of, uh, you know, of medical devices and medical products per capita. And you look at some of these, you know, these rapidly developing countries and think about china for example that you know you want to talk about a brand that's been impacted people in china don't trust chinese brands anymore so if you know if if a johnson and johnson can gain a a good foothold there they have a huge advantage over even the local brands 
Maybe so, we should yeah. swap brands. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> we'll we'll fix yours and you fix ours. All right, Bill Mann, Joe Mager. Guys, thanks for being here. Thanks. Thank you. As always, people on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against. So don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. That's it for this edition of Market Foolery. Our producer is Matt Greer. I'm Chris Hill. Thanks for listening. We'll see you tomorrow. Zombie apocalypse. Uh, Big catalyst. It's a zombie. It's a zombie. No. (laughs) Tylenol. (laughs) It's just a dude who needs a hip replacement. My hip. (laughs) My hip. (laughs) Just in time for Halloween. (laughs) (laughs) Why do you think I'm limping? And talking like this. (laughs) 